Welcome to the Founders and Creators podcast, a series of interviews and discussions with founders, creators, and leaders from the tech industry in Milton Keynes and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by Protospace, an initiative to support, connect, and grow the tech community in Milton Keynes. Today, we're speaking with Shitty, co-founder and CEO of Breathe Happy, an AI platform for posture correction. Featured as one of the top UK wellbeing startups, the company uses cutting-edge technology to make home fitness fun, safe, and motivating. In this episode, we learn about the company's inception, the future of Breathe Happy, and discuss the importance of mission, purpose, culture, and vision. Hi, Shiti. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Ollie. Pleasure is mine. What we'd love to just dive straight into is a bit about your background. Um, so both personally and professionally, um, just your interests and experiences and your, and your kind of career background today. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer um, and still engineer at heart. Um, but after my MBA, got into the world of consumer marketing. I really got fascinated by why people buy what they buy, Um, worked across uh, PepsiCo, Wall Street Journal, Britannia, started my career in India, but then went to US, worked in Chicago, came to Europe, um, worked across Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, before uh, I made UK my home about four years ago, and have now found my calling in Breathe Happy. So the common thread across these experiences have been building teams, launching products, scaling them, using technology to unlock that scale. Um, Somewhere along the line, I got really passionate about healthcare, um, inspired by personal events, family, um, and some health issues, and really using technology to see how we can help Amazing. So um, just going back, you're obviously doing a lot of traveling with your previous job. Mm-hmm. What specifically were you doing? And, and uh, can you just give some insight into kind of your experience um, in the industry that you were working in then and, and how you've kind of transitioned to where you are today? Sure. Um, that's that's big part of uh, my skill set and repertoire. I think I, uh, my skills lie somewhere at the cross-section of technology, business and people. I've held a multitude of roles in product and marketing teams, um, studying user needs, translating that into a business proposition, understanding the size of price, and then building teams to launch that um, working across functions largely in consumer services, which is why I, I really uh, like to stay close to the ground, passionate about community, what we say, I call it the golden thread. So in the development cycle of Breathe Happy as well, we have from day one built with the consumer. So um, you can call it agile methodology, you can call it uh, consumer feedback. But from day one, even though our algorithms have been built in convolutional neural nets and deploy heavy machine learning, from the very start, our users have given us feedback. Um, This just ensures that you're building for real use, for real people out there. Could you just give us a bit of an overview about Breathe Happy? Sure. Breathe Happy is a digital healthcare startup that believes in putting care before healthcare. Um, We are um, building an AI platform for posture correction, especially for fitness at home. 
Now, my personal interests um, were in yoga. I've been a yoga practitioner for 15 years. Um, along my journey, I met Simon, who is an engineer from Cambridge University, but also um, a passionate internationally certified yoga teacher, and my co-founder Radhika, who is an expert in products and has built and scaled products in the toughest regions of Africa, from um, scratch to a Series A, working with SFA startups. Three of us really found our common footing in solving um, preventative healthcare needs. Um, we had experienced some challenges with at-home practices, um, such as uh, aligning your posture, finding one-on-one -on -one time with teachers in an affordable, accessible way, um, regardless of what form of practice you wanted and deriving motivation and community from like-minded people. Together, we pulled in our heads and Breathe Happy was born. Initially, the idea was very simple, which was to connect trainers with those across the world. So removing the barriers of physical in-person classes online. And that's how we just started with a small WhatsApp group that post-pandemic quickly scaled understandably. But just as what we had planned to take or anticipated to take about 10 years was happening in 10 months before our eyes, we also quickly had an understanding that we would need um, technology to unlock this scale of growth. And that's when we started building tools um, involving AI and machine learning to explore outside of life format of classics. So at the moment, we offer three big offerings one in-person live classes with teachers that are validated chosen by us but reviewed by our users second is an ai tool that is outside of these classes and is currently in beta and third is a video platform where our trainers are able to take classes online using posture overlays that we've built um, that has been in beta as well and has been tested by 100 users twice a week. And uh, we did a research along with UK's National Innovation Centre of Aging and the results are just trickling in, which are just amazing. Amazing. So it sounds like um, the very beginning of, of this started as a community, as you mentioned, using WhatsApp. Um, can you just give us a bit of insight into you know, you obviously had an idea around this product and you wanted to bring a community of people together. What was that initial community of people? Why why did they join the group? What was the kind of offering at that point? And then how did you scale that to 2,000 people? Yeah, well, um, things are growing quickly. So it's actually now 8,000 across wow. our social. Um, I mean, our social Instagram is full of testimonials from people every day that I step in is, is such a delight. It is a great reminder of why we left all our corporate careers at their peak to do this. And it really pushes us forward. Um, how it happened, Ollie, I wish I had a formula that I would love to replicate across. But there are a few things. Um, which sort of are hidden in the question that you asked. So who were these people? I think in trying to solve our own personal problems, we quickly related 
to the people who were having these problems. So I would say um, the initial group of loyalists who still are loyal to us till date were working women uh, who were suffering from various kinds of issues in life, but not, not, not big enough that you find a recourse to them but just painful enough that you want and crave a solution for them. So just to simplify that, it could be um, childcare compounded with your working hours, compounded with con convenience of at-home fitness. That combined with specific issues um, around, say we had a lady who was furloughed just into COVID and was suffering with insomnia. Um, we had a lady who got diagnosed with lung cancer and found great relief in our, one of our programs. Um, we had a lady who uh, was struggling with young arthritis and was not able to walk for five months and was then able to run um, after three months of program with us. Um, and, and, and it's all not not very, um, I would say it's not it's not all relating to challenges and problems. Um, we had two ladies who joined us um, as prenatal yoga, went through their journey, and we have um, now we have them now in our personal community as well. Uh, they they shared the, their joy of their birth and their dates with us. Um, there have been moments of tears of both joy and pain in the classes that I've been fortunate enough to drop in. I think that truth is the real um, key to unlock community. Number one, and number two is the results. For fitness industry in general, it's the retention that makes or break them. And the key to unlock retention from my limited experience is results. You come back to a product or a service only when you get results. Because bear in mind, there is no fee to running outdoors and there's no pattern to a plank. And yet, we lack motivation, discipline, accessibility, sometimes timings, uh, various issues that we're not able to access them. So we just try and fill in those gaps and hopefully drive you towards results. Those, those first people that came to your platform, in terms of the growth with that, with that, was that word of mouth or how, how are you building awareness of, of this community initially? Absolutely word of mouth. So we did have some referral schemes in place. We still do. Um, and this is this is a good example of, um, you know, our, our, our solution for longevity. So um, about six months ago, we started working in the field of longevity, um, healthy aging, along with UK's National Innovation Centre of Aging. And we build a one of its kind program in the UK that's a three-month program developed by experts um, and researchers both at Breathe Happy UK NECA as well as Sentient Decision um, Sentient, Sentient Institute of Decision Sciences in the US where we deploy innovative techniques not just in posture correction but also in facial AI to study the impact of physical health and emotional health. Now um, this solution, which was first tested by a group of 100 users, is now out in the wild. Today was the first day, and we had such a staggering response, Ali. It was a very, very controlled um, launch. We didn't put it out on the social. We didn't want it to go wild because we always believed in a managed experience initially. We're just replicating our learnings from um, our, our previous um, um, core offering. and. 
we had we just had people showing up for the class, signing up. Uh, one of the leaders picked up and put it on social uh, on his profile, and and it led to further signups. People who dropped in the class, I'm still getting emails how good it was, and they're wanting to bring their friends in. So referral schemes have worked really well, but I think at the core of referral scheme is a good product that works for them technologically, but also people-wise. So um, we have a community manager who really helps people on board because this is also a very sensitive target group where you, you need to help them for um, onboarding on technology, user interface, design, fonts, colors. So we've, we've designed our product with those needs in mind as well. Great. Great. Um, so in terms of starting the business, you had your idea, you built this community, got a sense of how, that, how that's grown. What were the next steps for you? Did you go out and raise funding straight away? Did you kind of self-fund the beginning? Can you just give some insight into, into that? It, it was a mix of all of those. Um, we, we did self-fund both of um, us, the founders. Um, we raised a bit of money with Bethnal Green Ventures as a tech for good startups. Um, they're still involved with us. They promote us uh, heavily on platforms. In fact, our impact research recently from this healthy aging program was um, publicized by them. And thanks to that, we further got more um, traction. Um, we got invested in by some of the angels who believed in us uh, when we picked up Bethnal Green funding. And I would like to credit Innovate UK as well. Uh, so we had a public grant with them um, as well. So far, so good. And the revenue started kicking in with the users. So um, yeah, um, so far, so good, I would say. Excellent. What was your experience raising money? Um, how, how did you find that experience? How long did it take? You, just some insight for those who, who are maybe considering raising or are raising funding mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, I think the... The biggest thing to keep in mind are um, scalability for ventures, venture funding, right? Um, they are looking for pockets of growth, consumer traction, um, and business potential. But business potential at pre-seed and seed is very hard to judge. It's honestly at Series A when you can prove that. Um, and then again, with my limited knowledge, they are really looking for any proxy for consumer traction. So whether that's revenue, that's the best. But if it's not the revenue, uh, what's the retention figures like? Uh, what is the usage like in, in DAO and I mean, daily active users, weekly active users, minutes per usage, for example, one of the things that we always say is, unlike, even unlike Facebook, which is the epitome of, of um, product usage, People don't use our product for minutes in the day. They use it for hours in a week. And that's hardcore important to us. Our product is like a rock, not water or sand, in the rock, water, sand model of consumer retention, right? And that's really important because when the user is with us, they're with us, both in body and mind. They're not multi-browsing, multitasking. Um, the second figure of um, that second figure that was really important and is important for us, like I mentioned, is retention. We're paranoid about it because retention ultimately makes or breaks a company in the long term, especially a fitness company. Um, we've been sky high on that figure since we've been really obsessive about it. So those are some of the things that's really worked with us, um, along with our mission, existence, uh, value, purpose. We do want people who resonate with these values 
to come and join us. Um, it just makes journey easier for both the partners in question. Mm. It's quite in interesting you mentioned those things because I think um, for someone starting a company, a lot of those things like purpose aren't where you start. You, you realize the importance of them as you start you know, solving a problem and you start thinking around those things. Could you just give some insight into your approach to, to purpose and, and vision, you know, beyond just the initial problem that you're solving, how you start to put that down onto paper and, and, and create something for your, for your business that you can, others can buy into and others believe in. That's not just your customers, but your investors, your team and everyone. It's a, it's a great question, Ali, and I fully agree with you. I mean, um, one of the most brilliant interviews that I've come across in recent time was that of by Stripe founder. And as knowledgeable uh, as that interview is, he was admittedly honest about how purpose comes later, especially for young founders, um, you know, who are, who are first just trying to make it right. Um, and then once they start to get seriously, can they then begin to assert themselves, um, talk about purpose and stuff. And when the whole fintech startups are a great example of that. Um, I can literally count on fingers of fintech startups who, who start with purpose. So purpose comes much later for them. So I fully agree uh, the import of what you're saying. But we're living in a changing world as well. Um, as for my situation, I think I was lucky enough to be at a position in my career where where I could choose to afford the luxury of purpose admission. I've been in corporate world for 14, 15 years. So I'd be, I'd be dishonest in saying that I chose to believe in my mission and purpose 14 years ago when I was choosing the companies that I wanted to work for. But today I can exercise that um, in, in quotes, luxury of that choice. The honest answer is once you have been able to afford that luxury of choice, it's just a matter of sticking to it. Whether it's your co-founders, whether it's the team, whether it's um, the people who are funding you or investing you, um, it has to be a win-win. And the win-win can only be when everybody comes around that common purpose that binds them together. I mean, um, if, if you came and met our team members and in various ways, they're very unique individuals. Um, some of them very young, by the way, who have, who have been smarter than I ever was or could be in knowing their values, mission and purpose at that young age. Um, and they're, they're far more aware about global issues, about sustainability, about climate, about several issues, even cultural, political. And when somebody brings that part of their self to work, it, it, just, it just makes it easier. You don't have to be a nine to five organization. You don't have to have many processes around deliverables, KPIs, OKRs. Um, that's what purpose does for you, I guess. Does, mm -hmm. does that answer? It's a long winded one, but it's, it's an honest one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's, um, I guess purpose can be a little like culture as well in that it evolves over time with the people you add to your company and and you know you kind of spoke to um purpose being personal as well as just a company purpose you know it's mm -hmm. something you might have in life you know i want to help solve these types of problems or these things are important to me um and really when those things come together by multiple people and form a you know a company purpose or part mm -hmm. of it um 
then that gives real meaning to the work that you're doing every day. I think that can drive so much in terms of motivation and, and inspiration in, in, in business. So uh, you, you started in 2019, was, was that right? That's right. So just as 2019 was closing. Back yeah, in so just pre-pandemic. How did that shape your business? What impacted that and, and how do you feel how do you feel that's um, changed your business today for the for better or worse? It's 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 a question that I've thought about, um, and honestly, I don't know because I would like to believe that the adoption online really helped us. Um, that we were being very naive to think that we will drive consumer behavior change in adoption of online. Um, so I'd like to believe that the adoption problem was solved by pandemic for us. But then we're not building a company for two or three years. We are building company for long term, right? So a question I've always wondered is what's going to happen post pandemic, right? Which is now uh, we're living in those times. And I've always told my team, my investors and people around me that people are going to go back to the real world in air quotes with vengeance. And that's what we see happening. I was in London last weekend and oh my God, it was a carnival or a carnival. So, um, which is great. I think um, we as human beings need that on personal touch. But sooner or later, I think that when the dust settles, um, as people work more from home, they will work out more from home. Um, that's one. Second, which, which was at the very genesis of um, how we started forming our companies is um, that of, like I said, preventative health, aging population, that especially UK and countries like US, Japan deal with. That problem is, and, and problem is a serious word, but that situation challenge um, is here to stay. We're at the very start of it. Um, that's only going to increase. Those are the issues that we are we are trying to solve. Um, so they're not going to go. So which is why I try and think less about pandemic. That just ensures that in product thinking, in technology thinking, in long term solutions, we're building for far out, um, riding on the tailwinds of online adoption. Richard, did you have a question? Yeah, I was coming back to the team part. You, you were saying you're talking about your team, and you've got uh, some young members. I'd just like, yeah, I'd be curious to know uh, how big your team is, and and uh, you know, and how that's grown as well, and how quickly that's grown. Um, so there's Sam and myself and Radhika um, as the core team. Then we've got a full stack engineer, Gareth. We've got a product designer, Marsha. Um, we've got a couple of guys who uh, work part-time with us on social, digital analytics and content. And we've got a full-time ops manager um, who liaisons and recruits teachers and trainers. Um, it's a fairly young team. Um, again, bound by a lot of purpose, mission, values thrown in, um, which are hard to quantify, codify. But at the at the young stage of company or a startup, I think this is, again, a luxury that we can afford. We can have multiple rounds of face-to-face -face interviews and really go deeper into what makes a person the person, apart from coding challenge um, exercises or case studies. 
So um, I, I think that has been the most fun and most challenging thing to do in startups, um, to do it in our startup at least, to find uh, people who, who resonate with our cause and people who can equally effectively contribute to it. Mm. Have you, um, are they all working locally? As in, sorry, are they all in the remotely? And, and is that something, if, if they are, is that something you're looking to, to continue that way? Or would you look to have a base, um, you know, a physical location at some point? That, that's an interesting word, uh, one, Richard. So um, in the total chaos of um, building a startup, one has not really devoted time to that thing. At the moment, everybody's remote. In fact, um, there are a couple of members of the team who have not even met face-to-face. -face. Um, in an ideal world, I would definitely want to have a local base, preferably in Milton Keynes and Broadway space maybe. Um, and if not every day of the week, have um, like face-to-face -face days uh, as it's now being um, called because nothing beats um, in-person meetings. But at the same time, we are a strong proponent of remote culture as well. So just to strike that balance and that balance doesn't need to be 50-50 also for me. It could be 80-20 or whatever works for people. Uh, give their best. In terms of like actually talking about retention, but again, staff, obviously you've, you've paid a lot of attention to building your, your team so far and obviously you're already kind of on the same wavelength. But as I make obviously a lot of companies you know not just recruiting but also obviously retaining good people is uh, i know is, is a challenge is that something you've thought about or had to deal with already or something you're thinking about for the future absolutely absolutely i mean i come from a consumer marketing background where we we are really again hung up about retention and customer lifetime value and your employees are your first customers if, if you're not able to retain them, what hopes do you have to retain any external party who, who in fact pays you? So um, yes, absolutely obsessive about retention in the team. So far, we, we are very young, right? So with eight, nine people, we've had zero voluntary attrition. Um, and that's the way I'm, I want to keep it. What's been your biggest challenge today, Shitty? Is it building the team out of curiosity or? Absolutely right, Ollie. Hiring is is. I, I never, I, under, I underestimated hiring. So um, in corporate, you had the luxury to afford uh, recruiters, um, which took a bulk of pain away, number one. Number two, you had the luxury of offering big sums of money. Um, and uh, number three, you had the luxury of time. Time, oh my God, right? So, um, and these three gets stripped away, like how when you're building a startup. Uh, finding the right talent on technical side is is just the toughest mountain to climb so um yeah it's been it's been really hard but equally rewarding for us so far knock on the wood how, how have you gone about that in terms of incentivizing your team and obviously i think it probably comes across some of the things we've touched on already vision being one of those yeah. um but yeah just how how do you bring people on and get them invested in the company when you don't have the luxury of everything you just mentioned it's exactly that it's the mission and that's when you know that the person um, really wants to invest themselves in it um, that's number one that is that is the first step i think you know when the person attaches um, themselves to you i think the challenge begins in the third month 
you know, when the honeymoon period is over, when it's the daily grind of total chaos and and just every day your task list is just a formality and there's just a new crisis. That's when um, the person's metal really gets tested, sometimes unbeknownst to them as well, which is why I think mission becomes even more important. So um, these were simply theories we had at the time of hiring, which have gotten further refined and reinforced and reiterated because um, I'm completely brutally transparent at the time of hiring. Um, I give them a complete picture of what a day is going to look like on both sides, uh, what the rewards are going to look like, what the joys of building are going to look like, how they're going to be recognized, not just within the company, but um, outside, but equally what the day might look like. And once they sign up for it, once they're ready for it uh, and they sign up, um, they have complete freedom, liberty to do what they do. I think, I think that, that, that really is the key. And so far we've got that right. Um, let's just dive into the technology really and, and kind of where the product's going with regards to AI. Could you just give some insight, maybe just explain uh, for the audience of what your technology does um, and where you see that going? So I, I'd love to talk about um, our product in tech. Uh, you know how you how you read the, these government documents which have the word AI on every second page and you could pretty much replace that with the word computer and it would still make sense to you. Well, that's not the kind of AI uh, we're building or want to build. So it's been a huge learning curve for us as well, I would say. I'll start with what we're building and then just get into um, it as much as I can. So we try and map 37 joints in our body. Um, technically not just joints, but points in our body. We started with 17 um, and our algorithms have moved on. So we're now able to map 33 points in your body. So say the center of your eyebrows, the shoulders, the spinal curvature, um, and we keep adding points to your body to further increase the accuracy. So there are four steps to our ML pipe, really. The first one is what I just mentioned, which is the identification of these points in our body. So using just uh, computer vision, which is just a fancy name for the lens on your laptop or your mobile phone, we are able to identify these points. The second step is detection. So once you've identified these points, once the computer vision has identified these points, how does it know what posture you're in? So start, say for yoga, you've got 83 postures. So we're building algorithms to detect what posture you are in. The third step of the ML pipe is measurement. So we want to be able to give you scores on, say, balance, strength, flexibility. So how do you score on balance? I'm going to measure the distance between the shoulders and how that distance moves in relation to say the point between your eyes and how that relative movement begins to happen and for how long. That is just one way to approximate or proxy for a balance score. Similarly, we've built in algorithms for strength and flexibility. And the fourth step of the ML pipe is recommendation, which is, um, Rick recommending, and, and this, this I think by all by now we all know how it works. Uh, how, how do you get to more classes uh, which are suited to your tastes, but also to your progress on what stage you're in? So all in all, a fitness program at home that is hyper-personalized to your needs, to your body, 
um, we're so used to quantification of everything, to knowing how much you've run, how many steps, but there's still no quantification of the movement. So with Breathe Happy, we're into the business of quantifying movement. In terms of where that goes, so, you know, 10 years from now, where do you mm -hmm. see your technology and how do you see it playing out as a service, um, you know, for consumers to, to have, if, if it is indeed the end consumer or if there are other kind of uh, opportunities for this technology? Absolutely right, Oli. So we are uh, we're running a lot of experiments, just as any startup. We started with end consumers, of course, um, to build this out well. But we are also exploring the market of personal fitness trainers, selling to the teachers, selling to gyms um, with this suit of technology. So um, the question of where I see the world 10 years down, I think future of fitness is digital, social and at home. Uh, the likes of Peloton are leading the way in connected fitness. Um, we had a mirror being sold to Lululemon for half a billion dollar, which is again a pioneer in connected fitness. Uh, you've got India's um, most well-funded startup called Cult making acquisition in this space. You've got startups in China making acquisitions in this space. So definitely we're not the first, we're not going to be the last. The idea is to build this with the needs of community and people in mind. So technology is going to be like electricity. Machine learning, AI uh, are very important to unlock the scale, but it is going to be the backbone of what you run at the front is going to be the needs of people and how we cater to them in an inspiring, motivational uh, manner with the community. So you've started with yoga. Is that where, where this first began? Absolutely, right. Is, is that where you, is that all you do today or are you, exploring other fitness activities. That's right. So uh, yoga is where we have started. That's a beachhead market. Again, drawing from the experiences of myself, Simon, um, it, it gives us a unique advantage of having the domain knowledge um, and also the technical knowledge to build this along with our roots in community teachers, trainers. Uh, we're now going to move into any of the body weight led exercises so hardware is a space that we don't want to touch that's that's where you have the biggies like peloton swift uh, mirror um, with their thousand pound bikes and whatnot we want to democratize that space for any body weight led exercises zumba tai chi pilates um, dance exercise uh, without the need to buy the thousand pound peloton bikes so what have you learned on your journey so far? What would you say is, is a, an epiphany you may have had that you, you um, didn't know before you got started? <laughs> I wish I had an epiphany. Um, the thing is that bad news comes all of a sudden, but good news comes slowly. And, and such is the case with epiphany. I think action has been paramount. Uh, you've, you've got to be impatient for action and maybe just a bit patient for results um if, if you've just got your eyes set on the wrong thing uh it makes you act very differently it's it's all about choosing what not to do so doing the work in days thinking in weeks planning for months and dreaming in years that's very well put. <laughs> um, what excites you the year ahead, personally and professionally? 
right now that line between personal profession is highly blended for me so um what excites me really is how do we take this journey of um, healthy aging to next level i mean just judging my response that we got today if not preceding to it it's been such a tremendous opportunity that has been massively overlooked and um, that we have fortunately been able to add value to um to see the users respond to us the way they do in such touching and moving words in an unsolicited way i've seen people at the you know um, frontline jobs who deal with very tough issues of suicides and um yeah difficult problems finding solace peace um there's there's, there's there was a lady who who um especially recorded a piece for us and sent it and said that um, not a day goes by that I don't tell the world how great your service and life changing has it been for us. It's it's this excitement uh, and, and what we do with such feedback and such technology, uh, that's exciting for me. What's exciting for me is just how scaringly awesome artificial intelligence truly is outside of the movies uh, we began a journey early when when we could hardly even have the right posture overlays you know the 37 joints that I'm talking about to now the latest release of our algorithm when the algorithm really detects how well I'm doing plank it's surreal and and that really excites me so uh, it's 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 going to be mind blowing to see how how we how we take this forward in a meaningful manner those moments are so important for a founder for all aspects in terms of mental health motivation and everything when you see real progress which sometimes mm -hmm. is hard to see it may be incremental but seeing significant progress where you um that excites you you know you mm -hmm. see opportunity in what you've managed to create as a team um that just kind of prompted me to think about mental health and you mentioned how as a founder, um, you know, personal and professional life almost blends. Um, and there's almost, there's that, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about trying to separate work from, mm -hmm. from life. And there's a lot of talk about making work an important part of your life. And, and, you know, that, that mm -hmm. it should blend with your personal life. You should be happy mm -hmm. and enjoy what you're doing. Has mental health being an important part of what you're doing today? And if so, could you just give some insight into why your business may impact that? Yeah, absolutely. Mental health is the reason why we exist. Um, th there are there are a couple of things to entangle in the question that you asked. Um, I'll start with the first one, which is the difference between or the line between work and life. Second, as to how it is interconnected or interwoven with mental health. And third, therefore, what, what is its importance and, and how do you change if at all do you change things, right? Did, did I get that right? Yeah. Um, so the first one, the line between work and life. And there is, first of all, no standard answer to it, right? So it is very, very personal. For me, uh, that line has never existed pre-startup or startup. Um, that's just not how I work. But that's only because of the lucky situation that I'm in, which is thanks to my family, thanks to my circumstances, I can afford 
to have that blended in. Um, that's the way I work best. That's the way I'm happiest. That's the way I can take care of my family the best way. Does it mean it's easy? Absolutely not. Uh, I'm a mom to an eight-year-old. I have responsibilities for my family. Um, but the way I operate my 100% at home, at family, at work, is when I give. I know I'm giving my best to all of them. And that only happens when I can work till midnight. I can get up at five and I can still work. And I... Um, I'm not able to respect the boundaries between the two. The second is, therefore, how does it play with my mental health? Again, my way of dealing with them is just because they're blended does not mean that they interfere with each other in a negative way. The, the thing for me is that the blend is a nice blend. So if I've had an issue and if I'm at work and if I'm able to resolve it or give a vent up to it by talking about it or not talking about it at home, that works for me, right? But if the constant stress of keeping it separate or shutting down my work at five o'clock is adding to my stress, that is not helping. So even though I've technically separated the two things out, it's not really helping in either my mental health nor the productivity at work, right? So by being able to afford the luxury of doing what I can do when I can do and doing it the best way, if that means it's blended, uh, works for me and works for my mental health. Um, just on that note itself, I, I have certain practices I follow, uh, which are meditation, yoga, the power of observation, letting go. So these issues not necessarily happen at work, but also in life, um, at home, in relationships. And that's just such a common denominator. So whether you have that blended in or separated, I think those are just your personal coping strategies that play out. And, and the third, uh, which was therefore what you change and do you change or not, uh, I think that's, that's, that's just the way I, I handle, like I said, uh, you have your own coping strategies to to deploy in your arsenal and you go about your day, whether it's blended or not. That's a great answer. Well, thank you so much, Shitty. I really appreciate you joining us today and it's been great to hear your story and uh, insights. Thank you, Oli. I wish you all the very best for the work that you guys are doing with ProdoSpace, with building local communities. Like you would have assessed by now, I'm passionate and obsessed about communities. I, I think um, if, if the last year was anything, it was all about communities, right from the Airbnbs to the local startups of the world. So in your own way, you're doing a lot for the local community and I completely stand by the cause. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Founders and Creators, brought to you by ProtoSpace. To find out more about this podcast and our initiative, visit protospace.uk.